You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your Cubs baseball is just around the corner home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, part of the SB Nation family of team sites. And Andy is off being the amazing mom that she is, but she, we've still got an awesome show for you with just a couple of days before op- opening day. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs for Bleed Cubby Blue. And today I am joined by Marquee Sports Network's Tony Androcki to preview the Cubs season. Welcome to the pod, Tony. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, So my understanding is that you just got back from Arizona. Is that right? Yeah, no. um, So the day before uh, we're recording this here. So I got back like uh, Thursday afternoon after um, I think I I counted. I took a break in between, but something like 34 of 38 days. I've not slept in my own bed or been in my own house or something. It was was a little weird. Yeah, that must be strange. Uh, are you dealing with the weather okay? I imagine that it's quite the shock. It is, yeah. Like, I've, I mean, I've worn like a winter cap. And uh, when I took my dog out this morning, and then right before hopping on this, I actually threw on gloves when I took my dog out again, because I was like, it's just too cold. Like, I can't, I can't deal with this. It's like, one thing in the in the desert, um, you know, at night, it does get pretty cold, it gets down in like 30s and 40s. But it's just it's just a different cold here when it when it's you know mid forties and below. So I'm not happy, and I also have not seen the sun since I've been back. So I'm kind of depressed about that. Uh, yeah, the sun hasn't made an appearance for a few days, and I've been here the whole time, and I'm wearing gloves outside right now too because it's just that Chicago. It's Chicago March, you know. It's what yeah. it is. Um, but we have baseball just around the corner, which should be awesome and incredible. Let's just jump right in. Lots of Cubs contracts. Up after 2021, Anthony Rizzo, who is really the heart of this team, Javier Baez and Chris Bryant, like huge players. And Wilson Contreras' contract is up next season in 2022. I check my alerts all the time looking for some extension news and I'm not hearing anything. How do you think that environment is going to impact this team? Yeah, that's a good question. I Truthfully, I don't know. Um, I, I think there's going to be a little bit of it, but... You know, in some ways, it's not going to be that much different than the last couple of years because these guys have been saying and thinking for a while that this might be the last run together, like one last hurrah, uh, kind of last dance, if you will. And they, they've they thought that, you know, when Theo has teased like blowing up the roster after 2018, after 2019, um, obviously after last year, a lot more changes with Lester Schwarber leaving and stuff that, that kind of took place. Um, but yeah, I think... I think it's going to be kind of similar because these guys understand and appreciate that there there hasn't been just around baseball, but really in sports in general, there hasn't been a core of players that has gotten to grow up the way that this Cubs core has. So it's really special that all these guys, you know, they became they they became rookies and then obviously won together. And now they're like married and have kids and they've become like full grown adults while all, you know, being the same teammates. So they, they always appreciate that for what it is. And they've they've always maintained that they care about the team more than their individual stats. So I think they're going to be able to put it out, you know, out of their minds and, and away from their really just to let it affect them on the field. Um, but I, I think it's a good question because it is something that they're going to be asked about and that is going to affect this team moving forward, assuming there are no extensions by opening day. 
You know, last year they were able to translate that into a wicked hot start. They wound up starting 13 and 3, and really that was the difference in the division. I mean, if you look at what happened after that hot start, they probably wouldn't have won the division or it would have been a lot closer. I guess I'm just sort of wondering if this team doesn't get off to that type of hot start, it seems like the leash is probably pretty short in terms of trading away some of these players while they have some impact. Yeah, I think that is probably true. I mean, all these guys, because then you had Jack Peterson and Jake Arietta and all these guys, even some of them have options beyond this year, but there's so many guys on one-year deals. Uh, Trevor Williams, Zach Davies in there as well. So there's a, a very real possibility that like if the Cubs got out to a slow start, they could become sellers come July. But I don't think I don't really see a scenario in which the Cubs would ever become sellers like early in the season. So, yeah, the first month, two months of the season are definitely important. And it, it's vital to like the success of this team, because we saw last year how, you know, the ups and downs of even a shortened season, if you get off to a good start, you're still in a good position for a playoff race. So I think they want to do that anyways. But yeah, I think, you know, after Memorial Day is probably when we'll be really looking at this team. Like, are they buyers? Are they sellers? Uh, where do they stand with all of that? Because the, they would have a lot of pieces that other teams would be interested in at the trade deadline if they ever sold. Uh, but I mean, they have no plans of that right now. Like they're they're talking about wanting to make a, an extended run in October and everything again. There's no no talk around Tampa of them selling it all right now. Well, that's outstanding to hear. And I'm sure our listeners are breathing a sigh of relief because, you know, if you hang out on Twitter, all you hear are rumors all the time. Those those writers in New York are constantly trying to like magic a Kyle Hendricks for nothing. And I'm, I'm just I'm kind of over it. Let's jump into some of these player personnel situations. There are a lot of questions and, you know, I don't normally timestamp our episodes, but I'm going to timestamp this one just because I imagine we're going to get some of these answers while I am editing this down later. So it is about 1230 on Friday as Tony and I are recording. And right now the rotation has been announced as lining up with Hendricks uh, first, Arietta second, and Davies third. You got three men really battling for that fifth spot, although I think the smart money is on Alec Mills. What do we think happens here? Does Alzale's option mean he's the odd man out of the rotation and out of the bullpen? And if so, I mean, that's got to be a bummer for him, right? He's had such a good spring. He looked awesome against the Dodgers yesterday. Yeah, I mean, so I think that's a that's definitely one school of thought. And to be honest, I don't fully know. I, you know, I'm not in those conversations with the Cubs, so I don't know exactly where they're going to lean on that. But David Ross just spoke earlier this morning and he said he thought Elzali, like you just said, looked really good in the game against the Dodgers. He looked like a major league starting pitcher to him, which that's, that says a lot. It didn't, Ross didn't say he looked like a, a pitcher, a big league pitcher. He said starting pitcher. And, you know, the, there's been, we know that Elzali is going to pitch a lot of very important innings for the Cubs this year. I can't guarantee now that he has this, this extra option, I can't guarantee that it's going to start on opening day. Um, and, and if so, that it would even come in the rotation versus the bullpen. So there's a lot of options that the Cubs have at their disposal. But ultimately, I think they're going to look at him and, and some of these other guys, Shelby Miller and, and stuff. And they're going to look at these guys and say, hey, these are two of our top 10 or 14 or 13 pitchers. And we need to break camp with them. And like we just talked about getting off to a hot start. However, Alzale is utilizing a role, whether it is as a bullpen or, or in the rotation. I think he's a guy that can help the Cubs get out to a hot start. And I think they feel that way. So I think if not, you know, starting on opening day, probably pretty soon after we're going to see him make an impact. The big question is just with him, it's the innings limit because he hasn't thrown over a hundred innings in a professional season since 2017. He, I don't know exactly what it's at, but say 70 innings or so is what his cap is going to be this year. If you start him in the rotation in April, you're going to hit that number really, really quickly. And then you won't have one of your most impactful pitchers down the stretch. So I, I think they'll do a lot to manage his innings. Some of that may be utilizing that option and sending him to the alternate site. But yeah, you know, I guess time will tell. I just ultimately think that he is a guy that's going to have a, a big role on this team and help them. It's a really good point you bring up about the innings limit. And you also brought up Shelby Miller here. So let's just jump right to him. I am fascinated that the Cubs seem to have found magic in a bottle with Shelby Miller, who, you know, was a hot commodity just a few years ago. I can't remember who it was that broke all of our hearts by 
wrongly reporting that Javi Baez had been traded for Shelby Miller straight up, which was not true, thank God, obviously. But now we've got them both. Um, I imagine he's on an innings limit too. It's been a long time since he's had been healthy and pitched a full season. You got to think there's some mix and match availability there. Uh, is Shelby Miller for real? You've gotten to see him pitch in person. I have not. Uh, short answer is yes, absolutely. I, I think so. I mean, he has arguably been the Cubs most dominant pitcher in spring training. I know Davies numbers are very, very good and he's looked you know really good as well. But yeah, I think Shelby Miller has, it, he really surprised me too, because he, he was a guy that um, coming into camp, I was like, okay, like he may be, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth in the starting rotation option. I didn't know a ton about what he went through last year. Uh, so I, I wasn't necessarily writing him off, but I wasn't thinking that he would really be in the opening day picture. I thought he might be a guy that could impact later in the year. But yeah, we got a chance to talk to him in person. He actually brought, was brought up uh, what you mentioned, the whole Javi Baez trade. He had no idea about that. He didn't he wasn't familiar with that rumor. Um, but, yet, you know, he just he opted out last year because he just had a baby and he was at the Brewers alternate site. And he was like, what am I doing here? Like, I need to go home. But he worked on throwing bullpens. He stayed healthy for the first time in a few years. And and he really developed a slider kind of like Alzali that he feels is like this this outpitch, this really dynamic offering. And he he said he never really had that. He had a fastball that could dial up to the mid-90s. But now with the slider, it's like this outpitch, this, this swing and miss pitch. And so I think that's also kind of made all the difference. So he's in a good spot. He's he's healthy. He's motivated. You know, he has a new offering. And and I think the Cubs have really done a lot to try to get the most out of him, too. So I absolutely think uh, Shelby Miller is going to pitch like a ton of big innings. And I see him on the opening day roster right now. I'd be pretty stunned if he wasn't. That's really outstanding to hear. You know, you mentioned something about how the Cubs are, they're, they're doing something a little bit different here. And I listen to a lot of Eno Saris on the athletic podcast, Rates and Barrels. He likes to talk about command and stuff when he's talking about pitchers that you should target for your fantasy team. But what's really interesting is, you know, I was kind of looking at this originally in the offseason when the Cubs replaced you, Darvish, with Zach Davies. And I, I was a little underwhelmed. I'm not going to lie. I think a lot of fans were. But it turns out Zach Davies, Kyle Hendricks, Alec Mills, all of these guys are exceptional command and exceptional stuff pitchers. And so it doesn't really matter as much that they're throwing 88 because they're throwing 88 with such precision and such effectiveness that it's playing like velocity would without the strain on their arms. They're throwing a lot more innings because of that. So what do you think we can see as fans here as we look at how the Cubs have built this top three, which let's be honest, it doesn't look like any other top three in baseball. Yeah, no, it really doesn't, right? Like um, when Arietta signed over the winter, uh, I, I don't know if everybody was thinking or a lot of people were thinking he'd be their number two. You know, I was thinking maybe more like three, four range, but but he's looked really good this spring. That familiarity has really helped out as well. And he's actually gotten more swing and miss than I thought he might get so far this spring anyways. But, but yeah, I mean, to your point, like they, they do pitch the contact and, and it's that word pitchability that's thrown out so much. And this Cubs pitching staff has it. They don't have the velocity. That's where guys like Shelby Miller and Elzelai stand out because those guys could potentially come in after an Alec Mills or a Davies or a Hendricks and throw an inning or two and really give hitters a different look, speed up the bats and so on. But yeah, I, you know, Trevor Williams is really funny about it. Um, like last week we talked to him and, just about the word pitchability. And he said, uh, you know, radar guns and velocity is sexy, but objectively sexy is Kyle Hendricks throwing a sinker, you know, a backdoor sinker. And he was like, I forget the other pitch, uh, like a Craig Kimbrell fastball that like rises at the top of the zone is objectively sexy. And I just thought that was like really funny. I mean, Trevor Williams is a funny guy, but it also is like, it, it's, if you love pitching, if you love watching you know baseball and how how they can attack guys then you love watching some of these guys on the pitching staff for that reason it's like you know the difference between watching a diving play or appreciating Javi Baez making a really nice like you know play look routine but it's just a regular 6-3 in the scorebook and there's nothing super notable about it but you just enjoy watching it because you enjoy watching baseball and you enjoy watching you know a really good player make a play look easy. And I think that's what the pitching staff is with guys sitting 88 to 90 miles an hour. Totally. You know, it's funny you bring up Kyle Hendricks a couple of weeks ago. I was hanging out on Twitter and somebody said, 
that he he was just like left off this graphic of like potential NL Cy Young winners with their betting odds entirely. So I went to look it up. It's apparently plus 5,000 or was two weeks ago when I looked it up. And I feel like that's just, I'm not really a gambler, but I might place a bet on that. I might place a $100 bet on Kyle Hendricks to win the Cy Young at those odds because he's he's going to give the Cubs something this year that I don't think a lot of pitchers are going to do, and that is innings. Kyle Hendricks is so efficient. He is going to go into the seventh. He's going to go into the eighth. He's going to go into a lot of complete games. And it's just not going to strain him that much at all. It just doesn't get to him. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent, actually. Uh, so even before I went down to Arizona, I was looking at the Cy Young odds and it was uh, plus 6,600 for Hendricks and DraftKings. And so, yeah, I actually placed a bet down because I was <laughs> absurd. Like Arietta, I think Davies were both uh, had better odds and and so I was stunned. I just, I really couldn't believe it for a guy who's, who's actually been in the, the Cy Young consideration before, you know, he was a top three finalist in 2016. I, I just, I really am always kind of surprised at how underrated Hendricks is um, by, you know, like odds makers and just in general baseball fans that are outside of Chicago that don't watch this guy pitch. Like he hasn't had a three, five ERA in the last like six seasons, I think it is. And so he just always finds a way to get it done. And, and yeah, I think, you're dead on too with the with the innings. The the fact that he is one of the rare guys this year that may actually come close to that 175 to 200 inning mark that we might not see from a lot of others because he's not a power pitcher because he is so efficient with his outing. Uh, you know because he he is able to throw a lot and not put a ton of wear and tear on his arm too. So and he's just really smart about it and you know he does yoga. He's he's taken really good care of his body and his arm over the last few years. So. I think he is a guy that um, he's going to be like a true ace this year in the sense of he can give innings more than, than anybody else. There's a very good chance he, he leads baseball in innings pitch this year. So um, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. I think, I think the Cubs really truly understand and appreciate that even if the outside noise doesn't. And, and I think Cubs fans do too, from everything I've seen, they, they fully understand what they have in Kyle Hendricks. Oh, yeah. BCB and Game Threads, we say all Kyle Hendricks does is get guys out. So who cares how he did it, right? You know, one of the things that really stood out to me when the Cubs signed Jake Arrieta, and I love that signing for a bunch of reasons. I think he brings some leadership to the clubhouse that they lost uh, without John Lester. That type of move is really important for some of these young pitchers. But Arietta's ground ball percentage is still elite. Um, it is better than Kyle Hendricks. We think of Kyle Hendricks as the ground ball guy pitches to contact. I actually have a theory that the reason Arietta struggled a bit in Philadelphia is the defense was so much poorer behind him. And I don't know if you remember this, but Jake actually had a press conference that made news with the Phillies when he was out there talking about how they needed to shift better, that he was struggling because they weren't shifting well with his stuff and they weren't playing him defensively appropriately. Do you think Arietta's got one more rebound in him? I don't think he's going to be 2015 Jake, but I think he's got something there. Yeah, so actually, uh, I think I that's one of the most fascinating storylines is is really what Jake Arrieta is going to show up and what he's going to give the Cubs. And I actually just wrote about it for MarqueeSportsNetwork.com because that was something that I was curious about since they started. And um, Tommy Hadovy, you know, gave some good insight into what they were trying to do. And and you know, Ross spoke and and Arrieta spoke at length at various times this spring about what he was trying to do. And you know, I I think your point is dead on. I think the the fact that the Cubs defense is is elite. I mean, I think, I think it was last year that they turned more ground ball outs than in, or more ground balls into outs than any other team in baseball. Um, they shift well, they have good game planning and run prevention in general. So that helps. That's, that's better than what the Phillies showed last year in the last couple of years. Ariad is also, also healthy and in a much better spot physically than he was pretty much any time in Philadelphia. And then I think they've, they've worked with things to get back to his mechanics to kind of that 15 and 16 form. And, and I mean, the Cubs are, are really optimistic about it. They, they're they're saying like they're not expecting him to have a one seven ERA, right? But like they think that he can get closer to fifteen sixteen form than I think a lot of fans or a lot of outside people believe, and and really think about it in terms of expectations for him this year. So they're they're really optimistic, and he is as well. Like he is thirty five, but he takes takes care of his body really well. He's still in great shape, and he thought that the knee meniscus injury he had in, in 2019 that really affected his 
basically his entire movement and that crossfire delivery, he wasn't able to put like torque or anything on that knee. And so he changed everything about what he did over the last three years. So now he's back to where he was back to the, the delivery that he had. And he has, a, you know, some, some more swing and miss than I thought too. Plus all the ground balls that you talked about. So I, I think there's actually a pretty, pretty good optimism for Arietta that he can get back to like the form we saw him probably like 16 and 17, maybe not 15 quite yet. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for too. And I actually have my ticket for a rooftop for Jake's uh, start back. I'm really excited about this because I was at the NLCS game, which was his last start at Wrigley Fields. This feels like perfectly bookended for me. <laughs> uh, let's move to the bullpen before we take a quick break. You know, beyond Miller and Alzalea and Mills, who are going to share some time out there and get some starts back and forth, we've got some issues in the bullpen. I want to start with the player I want to figure it out more than anything. Can we talk about Dylan Maples, who I discovered going through some spin rate stuff for an entirely different piece, actually was the number one fastball spin rate pitcher in baseball in 2018 and 2019 for pitchers who had faced at least 25 batters. And he was like 11th and 6th for breaking stuff. I mean, it's absurd admittedly tiny sample sizes, but the stuff is freakish. Can he command it? Yeah, I, that's the, you know, $20 million question, right? Like I, he could earlier this spring, he, he had worked on, as you've noticed, he, he had like a little bit of a shorter arm motion. And so that was some of the mechanical changes that he made last year at the alternate site. And, and he commanded it last summer at, and during summer camp, the Cubs felt like he was their best relief pitcher throughout the entire summer camp. You're talking Kimbrell and, and Tapera and all of these other guys, Jeremy Jeffress as well. They felt like Maples looked the best and then struggled to command it once opening day and the regular season came on. So that's really been the, the thing with Maples is commanding it. And we just saw against the Dodgers, you know, he walked three guys and, and he's had some issues after he went, you know, almost all spring without walking guys. And now he's hit guys and walked in, in each of his last, uh, at least a couple in each of his last few outings. So I think that's, you know, obviously a concern there. And, but like you said, I mean, the stuff is elite that the possibility that he misses bats is elite. And they thought enough of him to put him on the opening day roster last year. And he's made some changes to where, you know, basically the one game with the Dodgers, notwithstanding his control has been a lot better than he's shown in the past. And so because he's out of options too, I feel like they might still take a chance on him. Um, you know, they want to see something from him. They've now extended him as well. And I think that's notable. The last two times out, he pitched two innings and that's, that would give you some length out of the bullpen as well. So I think all these things coming into play might put a guy like him on the opening day roster to at least give him a shot because, because the Cubs don't want to DFA him and potentially lose him because if they did, I mean, I imagine some team out there is going to pick him up on waivers and just give him a shot and see, and see if a change of scenery will work. So I think they're intrigued and, and I know Ross has always really liked his stuff too. So I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they got, you know, kind of gave up on him and DFA'd him, but I also would not be surprised at all if he's on that opening day roster. I'm really hoping he's on the opening day roster. When when the stuff works, it, it is magic. I mean, he made um, Adam Jones and Edwin Encarnacion, I think, look absolutely foolish <laughs> during a stretch in 2019. I go back and look at those gifts sometimes because I just they're so fun to watch. Uh, let's talk about the build of this pitching staff top to bottom. You know, there's not a lot of left-handed pitching here. It's the thing that jumps out at me. Do you think that's a problem? Do you think that's something they're interested in bolstering? Um, I don't think that that's really something they're interested in bolstering because they have, they have confidence that a lot of their righties could get lefties out. Um, and, and so I think that can work. And, you know, when you talk about like a slider, like, uh, like Shelby Miller and Alzai has had, if both of those guys are coming out of the bullpen, then you have, you know, a pretty dynamic weapon against lefties. We know Dylan Maples can, it, like we said, his breaking stuff, it doesn't matter what side you're hitting. And, you know, you're, you're not necessarily going to make contact when he's on. And then, you know, I think the way Rex Brothers has pitched this spring has turned heads. So you look at Andrew Chafin, who's on the team for sure. And I think Brothers will probably make the opening day roster. You got two lefties right there. And then I think they have, you know, some depth. They have Brad Wick. They're getting Kyle Ryan back up to speed, you know, after he was slowed with uh, with COVID protocol. And then they have other guys like, you know, Justin Steele is in the, Justin Steele is in the minor leagues and and stuff like that. So there's some other lefty options like Braylon Marquez could be a factor down the road. 
So I, they don't really have anybody that I think would would make any starts this year or make many starts. Maybe Steele could could impact that later in the year. But I think they have enough lefties to where they they can mix and match out of the bullpen and, and really if they need to come down to to those matchups, they can get guys out. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't think they're necessarily shopping for like a lefty, which is weird because, you know, it was just a couple of years ago, they had four lefties in the rotation when Montgomery was in there. So it's definitely a change of pace for the Cubs, but um, something that's going to be weird that we see all year, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that the, from a bullpen perspective, having to face three batters has probably changed the calculus on how those left-handers get up to the bullpen too, you know, um, the other person that I've been thinking about, and I haven't heard a ton of information on, although I did hear that he got good news recently, is Rowan Wick, who has been a factor the last couple of years. I think people underestimate how much he saved the Cubs bullpen by stepping in for some of those ninth innings when Craig Kimbrell was struggling in 2019 and 2020. Any timeline for Rowan Wick? Yeah, well, no timeline specifically, um, but he was throwing. He threw again on Wednesday, um, our last day in Arizona. And so we saw – we were able to see him. He threw like maybe 10 pitches or something off a mound again. And and that was, I think, about the third or fourth time that he's gotten just off a mound. He's been playing from flat ground quite a bit and uh, has not really thrown more than 10 pitches. He's just trying to, to feel better and good, and he has with that intercostal injury that – um, it was really mysterious injury. I mean, he he walked off the mound in mid-September with it and then um, had issues that, that carried throughout the winter that they thought was fine. He thought he was 100%, but then he was still feeling it when he would go to throw. And so they finally got to the spot. They finally were able to work it out and, and kind of get through that. Um, so, yeah, he's in a really good place. But, I mean, he also started about a month behind every other pitcher here. And relievers can can build up a lot quicker, but he's he's, you know, there's no way he's going to be ready for opening day. And honestly, probably not even the first maybe three weeks of the season because the Cubs will want to take it easy on him. Because as you mentioned, he is such an important part of this bullpen. So um, he's a guy that I think could, could be a factor in maybe May and moving forward. And I think that's that's honestly probably really good news from the Cubs' perspective because when he got to camp and was unable to throw, I think there's some concern that like, oh my God, is this guy going to pitch at all for us this year? Or is he going to pitch at all before the All-Star break? And I think if he can get into get in the, the bullpen by like, you know, early May, he can still probably make like 50 appearances or something. And that's a huge boost for this team. So I think that's where he's at right now, but they're not putting a timetable. They're just worried about getting him back to health and continuing to, to look good, feel good on the mound. And so far he has. Awesome. So we will be looking out for Rowan Wick news after the season gets started. We have a lot to talk about on this Cubs season preview edition of Cup of Cubby Blue. We're going to talk a little bit about second base, a lot about the outfield. But first, we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. And we're back. A lot of people were chattering during the offseason that Nico probably needed to start down in AAA, that he needed a little bit more time. You know, he kind of got exposed offensively in the short season with some big league with some big league pitching. And I kind of feel like Nico Horner forced the Cubs hand here. They he looks outstanding coming out of spring and he was just kind of like, nah, you don't need Sogard. You don't need Vargas. This job is mine. <laughs> Yeah, I think he has turned a lot of heads for sure. And, and um, I think he's – the Cubs knew what they had and knew that he was already, you know, going to be such an important part of this team just in the way that he plays defense. And uh, they, they speak so highly of his intangibles and the mental game and how he's able to to put an 0-for-20 streak at the plate behind him. It, and that's so advanced for a guy who has played, you know, about 60 games in the big leagues, and that's about it. So – um, they, they love this guy and what he brings. It was really a matter of, like you said, having veterans on the roster like Sogard. And if they wanted a guy like Nico to go down and play every day, well, to me, I thought based on the hot start that Nico had to this spring and then the fact that we found out there was going to be no AAA season until you know the first week of May, I think once you realize like, okay, he would just be at the alternate site, like you can do some of that stuff in the big leagues. And he's clearly shown that he's belonged and, and so, I, I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. He's on the opening day roster. I think he might actually even be the, the starting second baseman. And I actually looked back at last year. He started last year's opening day. I, I thought Kimbrell would have – or I'm sorry, not Kimbrell, uh, Kipnis would have. 
And I thought like, okay, they, they faced a righty with Brandon Woodruff on the mound. Like it had to be Kipnis. No, it was actually Nico. And so he started and, and they wanted his defense behind Kyle Hendricks. And I think we'll see that a lot as we talked about like this contact oriented approach that, that the pitching staff has. Nico's going to be a huge part of that. He's, he's one of their best defenders. He was a gold glove finalist last year. So really if you, if you hit him in the eighth spot and then whatever he provides you offensively is kind of just gravy he's going to go out there and run the base as well and, and be this great teammate clubhouse guy and then play gold glove defense. So I, I think he's a clear cut favorite to be on the opening day roster now. The Cubs defense is really one of those things that we don't talk quite enough about. I mean, and even when you start to get into those reserves, David Bodie is an exceptional defender. The Cubs utility guy that is backing up Chris Bryant to give him a day off and backing up Nico Horner or Ildemaro Vargas, whoever winds up with that second base position to give them a day off. He is an exceptional defender. They're not losing really anything from a defensive standpoint when Bodie comes in and he's right at or slightly above a league average bat. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I think, um, too, that you mentioned Vargas. The Cubs like his defense a lot at second base. And uh, Sogard has looked really good defensively. Like Ross admitted that, you know, when they when the Cubs signed Sogard in the middle of camp, Ross was thinking, okay, this guy's probably not a shortstop. I know he's played a little bit there before, but we'll look at him more second, third, or wherever else. But he has been really impressed with how Sogard has played defensively at short, and he's made some really nice plays there this spring. So, um, so yeah, I think you know all those guys. And then Jake Marisnik too, has just been – I mean, he's an elite defensive center fielder, and he's a guy that we could see come in and play center field late in games and, and maybe hat moves to left or right or – or, you know, Peterson or Hayward moves around, depending on which those guys are in there. So the Cubs, they do have a lot of options. And Bodie is, is a guy that um, b- between the defense he has, the at-bat, his ability to get a pinch hit off the, the bench and come through in the clutch, like he's going to be a really important and underrated piece of, of this team, I think, this year. I haven't looked it up in about a year, but I the last time I looked, David Bodie had just an absurd number of walk-offs for a guy who doesn't play every single day and hasn't played for that long. I was just like, and look, I know that clutch is one of those things that we can measure, but it's not really a stat that's predictable or anything like that. But for he kind of has a knack for the big moments, not just walk off grand slams. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. There was the the time last year. Um, I think it was, it was against the Cardinals. I think it was actually one of those games where they were like the road team in a double header or whatever. He had like a game winning hit and he had a couple big moments last year. Um, that I don't think we're necessarily even walk-offs, but still like big go-ahead hits and and just coming through in the clutch, like you said. But yeah, and, and even before the walk-off grand slam, he had a homer like the week or two before off the Diamondbacks that tied the game in the bottom of the ninth inning. And then Rizzo walked it off right after. So he he does have a, a flair for the dramatic and, and coming through in the clutch spots. And I think that's, that's what you want from a role player is, like you said, good defense, the ability to play multiple positions, and then to, to come through when – you know, you maybe haven't seen a live pitch, uh, a, you know, I had a live at bat in three days and then come through and, and go down 0-2 in the count and still come through with a big hit. And, and that's exactly what they have in Bodie. So let's look at some of these players who could have some bounce back years. And it just happens to be the same trio of players who make up uh, that heart of the core and have contracts up at the end of the season. You know, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez and Anthony Rizzo all kind of struggled for different reasons in 2020. I think that for Javi, he's been pretty explicit that the lack of video, in-game video, was a mental um, block for him. It made it hard for him to adjust during games. And I don't think Chris Bryant has talked about this publicly, but I've seen him on the bench with an iPad more than just about any player in baseball. So I imagine that might have been a little bit of an impact too. Who do you think is going to bounce back? What should we be looking for at the start of the season from the big three? Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with saying the fact that they struggled for different reasons last year, and and really that was it. Like Rizzo, um, he had a back issue throughout most of summer camp, and then he came back, and you know he hit in some of those like um, there's like scrimmages against the White Sox and Twins right before the the shortened season, and he he looked you know pretty good and hit a homer at least once, and um, and then started out really well to start the season, but then kind of slumped from there and. And I, I just, you know, with a guy who has had back issues and then having the, the, that problem in summer camp, I imagine that probably affected him at some point through it. You know, I don't know specifically, but I think for all three of them, it was really, it came down to just feeling rushed and feeling like it was a struggle to make preparations. And 
you know, to the point on Rizzo, I think that was it too. Like he was a lot more rushed. He had a lot fewer swings and live at bats going into the season than he ever did before, just because of that back injury in summer camp. So even if he physically felt fine from then on out, I think that had a carryover effect. And, and same with Chris Bryan and the wrist and finger issue that he had that he dealt with really all of last season. So I think all three of them are, are primed for, for a bounce back. To me, I think Javi is the one that has the, um, the greater room to leap basically because of what you said with in-game video fans being back. He's a guy that feeds so much off of that energy. Uh, just the fact that he, he felt like he was just so rushed with everything because he knew that there wasn't enough time and runway to, to get through, a, you know, the struggles that he had early in the season. And so I think all of that, that played a factor in, in his game. And I think we're going to be, you know, we're going to see a guy that's a lot more like the MVP candidate, than the Javi Baez that we saw last year for all of these reasons combined. And, and um, you know, it just, I, again, with all three of these, if, if they're able to stay healthy, and that is a big question mark playing 162 after a shortened season, I think there'll be a lot more like the career years that we've seen from these guys, or at least the, the back of their baseball cards, rather than like the, the worst year of their career that they had last year. Speaking of a player who had maybe not a career year, but a really interesting year last year, you know, the Cubs' second most valuable um, player outside of pitchers by FWAR was Jason Hayward, who really looked like the guy the Cubs thought that they were signing when they offered him that huge deal back in the offseason before 2016. I think that Jay Hay has made some real adjustments at the plate that swing doesn't look anywhere near as awkward and like kind of stifled as it did when they were messing around with it and trying to retool it in 2016 and 2017. I'm looking for him to continue that resurgence. And, you know, he gives you a great at bat. He gets on base a lot and you add 20 home runs to that and a little bit of speed. I think that Jason Hayward could be a key guy in this mix too. Yeah, I think so for sure. And, um, he proved it last year. Like you said, he, it was basically him and Hap that kind of carried this offense consistently from day one through game 60. And uh, he attributed a lot of that to, to both feeling good and comfortable. And he credited Ross with that too, that he knew Hayward knew that no matter what he was going to be in the lineup. And he knew that Ross valued what he brought and um, to the game each day, whether it was base running leadership defense, that gold glove caliber defense in right field, just the little things. And, you know, I actually wrote about that too. Like Hayward has a, has a, you know, he's just this quiet confidence about himself. He knows that what he brings to the table wins. And the fact that he knew he was going to be out there, regardless of whether he went over four or four for four the day before, he thought that that played a huge role in his offensive success. And then also just the fact that he's at this veteran stage in his career where he understands how much he wants to use video and not use video. Like we were just talking about too. Like, he knows when to get in there, when to when he's overanalyzing, when he's over tinkering, and and so I think you know all of that came into play last year, and we saw a guy who was like free and and smooth out there, and and had his approach that was like consistent. So I, I think we'll probably see that again too, because at the very least, like he's going to be out there for his defense, for his base running, for all these little things that help the team win games. Well, speaking of a guy who is going to get some consistent playing time, Jack Peterson had been kind of pigeonholed into a platoon role with the Dodgers. I don't think any team in baseball loves platoons more than the Dodgers. Maybe the Brewers. Those are like the two teams where you go to platoon. Uh, but Jack Peterson has been told that he's going to get a shot to face pitchers from both sides here with the Cubs. He is the starting left fielder. He might get replaced defensively by a Jake Marisnik, like you were talking about, moving half over, put Jake in center field late in games. But how do you think Jock is going to take to this chance to play full time? I've got to admit, I'm a huge Kyle Schwarber fan. I was a little devastated when Kyle Schwarber was non-tendered. I have loved what I've seen from Jock Peterson all spring. Yeah, I've actually heard that like exact refrain from Cubs fans quite a bit is, you know, they were sad to see Schwerber go, but they're really happy with with everything Jock has provided. And and I think the Cubs probably echo that. You know, I think so many guys were really close. And as we talked about earlier, like these guys all kind of came up together. Well, Schwerber was a big part of that. He was everybody's kind of little brother in the clubhouse. And and they he you know, he got along so well with so many different guys. And um, so they they absolutely miss him from that sense. But yeah, Jack can provide something, you know, a little bit different. Like he hits elite pitching. Well, he, he, um, 
attacks up in the zone a little bit better and makes more contact up there. And he is just motivated. And there's something so valuable about that with all these other guys that we talked about on one-year contracts. Peterson is too. And he's basically playing for his career. Like he, he wants the opportunity to show that he is an everyday player. He wants to prove that to the rest of the league and, and the Dodgers and whoever else, but he also wants to prove it to himself. And this is the best opportunity he is going to get in his career is the first, you know, three, four months of this season to be able to play every day against lefties. And, and he's the Cubs are doing everything they can to try to make him successful. Like even on days where he is in the lineup, he is out there on live BP on, on field one in Arizona, swinging off Jerry Vasto or any of the other Cubs, like minor league lefties who are throwing live bullpens. And like he he's getting as many looks as he possibly can. He's hit up higher in lineups when uh, when the, the Cubs are facing a guy that they know is only going to pitch an inning or two in a Cactus League game. So they're doing everything they can to try to get him those looks, to try to make him feel comfortable. And he's going to get that opportunity. And honestly, I, I'm curious to see what he does with it and where that goes this season. Yeah, I like he's been hitting right around that five spot in the lineup too. And and I like how David Ross has sort of messed around with the lineup here, but I know people were real used to seeing KB second, Rizzo third. That's been sort of the lineup going back the last few years, all the way back to Joe Madden. I like Wilson Contreras in the two spot. And it's not just because Wilson Contreras is my favorite player. I think that he gives you a little bit different at bat than Chris Bryant does. He he does strike out as about the same amount, but he also will take his walks and he just has a different look than KB. What do you think of this roster construction, just sort of how they've been putting it together top to bottom? Yeah, I think that's really interesting too. And But that's something that's so much fun for like, you know, us in the media or fans to talk about. And and Ross doesn't, he, he, well, he's like every other manager. They don't really care to talk about lineup construction. Like, why do you hit a guy here? And really outside of the leadoff spot, like I, they don't want to spend much time talking about it. So, but he has admitted he likes Wilson in the two spot, just like you said. And and he thinks that Contreras has that like pesky at bat that um, can really wear a team down right away. And and we've already seen it too with Hap hitting before him. Contreras has hit some big home runs or uh, he had the triple the other day. And and so I think that there is a cool amount of like energy that he provides. Like when Javi hit two um, a couple years ago, I think it was 2018, he hit two for a little bit. And there's just like, there's a different energy in there because Brian is that steady contributor. He and Rizzo have like basically the same at bat, you know, all the way throughout. Um, but I think it's also maybe like where other guys are comfortable hitting. Like Bryant has hit two a lot, but he's also hit three, four, five. So he's comfortable being there as well. But ultimately, like, I think you need a guy that just gets on base a lot in that two hole ahead of, of Rizzo and whoever comes after. And Contreras gets on base a lot. Bryant, when he's healthy, gets on base a lot too. But it also it might take a little bit of pressure off of Brian to be hitting four or five or anything like you mentioned too, and especially if if it lines up with Peterson hitting fifth and, and Javi hitting sixth, that also takes some pressure off of Javi where these guys can get into a groove early in the season and then maybe Ross can adjust from there and and so I think there's something there's something like that at play here too where maybe we'll see a different lineup on July 1st than we do on April 1st, but for right now I think Wilson hitting two is is absolutely something that. Um, can be beneficial to the Cubs for all these reasons we just talked about. Totally. Speaking of Wilson Contreras, he no longer has what I always thought was a, a, a super great weapon for the Cubs, that elite backup in Victor Caratini. You know, I think Victor Caratini is probably the starting catcher for half the league if he winds up on the right team. He's not for the Padres. He wasn't for the Cubs. But, you know, there are a bunch of teams out there who would love nothing more than a Victor Caratini as their everyday starting catcher. What do we see in the catcher situation? I know Austin Romine has been dealing with some injury issues. It kind of looks like it's going to be PJ Higgins. Is that a place where, what do you see from that backup catcher position? Yeah, I see exactly that. I, I think Higgins is in line to make his first opening day roster and make his major league debut actually, um, you know, on April 1st or sometime shortly after. But uh, that's, that's a cool story. The Cubs have liked him internally for a while. You know, he's kind of, uh, he's really under the radar. He hasn't been a top prospect. He's 27, um, to make his big league debut like that. It, it's cool. And it's, it, you know, the Cubs player development staff and front office have really liked him for a while, but his teammates have loved him for a long time. And, uh, you know, Edward Alzali said, like, he's like, oh man, we could sit here and talk literally all day about PJ Higgins and everything I love about him. And, They've, they've come up together. They, they've played at, at every stop along the way in the minor leagues and have actually been roommates at times as well. So, 
and Wilson Contreras said, you know, like with, with Higgins, he's a guy that he wants to learn. He's always asking the right questions. Um, he has good feedback. That's something that Ross has said as well. So like, and he's got an opportunity to catch a lot of these different guys over the last couple of weeks in spring training that he didn't normally see that, you know, the Hendricks or the Davies or Ariadas and stuff. So yeah, I think he's, a, he's the factor on opening day. And I'm really not sure the timeline on Romine because he hasn't played since March 9th. Now he isn't really doing much of anything except hitting off a tee with, you know, knee inflammation. It's obviously a big deal for a catcher and a veteran catcher who's in his early thirties too. So I, I really have no idea when Romine might be ready, but I think with the Cubs catching situation there, they are in a good spot because Wilson was going to play, you know, 75% of the time anyways. And now with opening day, um, just the first three weeks of the season, they have four off days in the first 19 days of the season. So really realistically Higgins would only maybe need to catch like twice. And then you're talking about almost a month of the way through the season, maybe Romine's ready, you know, maybe Higgins shows something and works there. So I think they'll be able to figure it out and, and fine tune it, but really it's, I think June, they only have like two off days. That's where that backup catcher really comes into play or if any injury happens to, to Contreras. But other than that, it's, you know, Wilson's going to be playing like a ton of time right away. How close is Miguel Amaya? Is there any chance that we see him late, maybe in September, if the Cubs are in a position where it looks like they could make a run and he could come up and make a difference? I know they really like him down there in the minor leagues. Yeah, I think that's absolutely a, a possibility that he can come up late in the season. Um, one of the things I like so much about him is is defense and the ability to like call a game. And he is still very young, but they feel like he's, you know, kind of close to big league ready with that. And offensively, he might be lagging a little bit more behind um, and, and still just have some development to do. But I think the Cubs aren't going to do anything um, that he had. He, he's going to have to earn it. They're not going to risk his development like they want the long game um, here and they're not going to force it the issue for for really, you know, unless they feel like they absolutely have to. So other than that, he's going to have to prove it to them and in triple A or in double A, wherever he starts the season and so, yeah, I think it's definitely a possibility. I think he more comes into play next year than anything else. Um, but, yeah, the, the Cubs have loved everything they've seen about him. And and just the he's at, had some pretty good at-bats, too. Like, you know, he hit home run the other day in, in a Cactus League game. So he's looked pretty good overall. And he's also a guy that I've seen, you know, even when he's not catching a bullpen or doing something else, I see him, you know, sitting and watching guys pitching. And he'll, he'll be, like, kind of in the shadows watching Wilson Contreras or Romine before he was hurt or Higgins and stuff. He's always watching and learning and trying to talk to guys. And, and that's the next step in the development that each guy has to take too. Totally. We only have a couple minutes left. I want to switch gears a little bit, look at this division as a whole. The thing that jumps out at me when I'm looking at projections and full disclosure, I am working on a piece about the projections for the division right now for bleed cubby blue should be up before the season starts. Y'all want to check that out. Um, the division like has so much parody, right? There's a game or two separating the different projection systems in terms of how they see this winding up. A lot of those projection systems have the Cubs third, but they're like two games in back of the Cardinals or whatever. It, it kind of boggles my mind that the Cardinals got the Rockies to pay them to take Nolan Arenado and yeah. didn't like leapfrog the division. They're still just barely right there. What do you see in this division race, at least among the top four? The Pirates are probably in a rebuild that is a totally different conversation. Yeah, I mean, the Pirates are, I would be more surprised if they lost 100 games, you know, or like if they didn't lose 100 games, I guess I should say. Um, like they, they're a team, they've traded off basically every piece that had any value this winter. So they're a non-factor. Um, good news for the Cubs that they play them, you know, six out of nine times the first nine games of the season. So um, yeah, that's, I think it's really whoever beats on the Pirates, beats up on the Pirates the most might win the division because um, the other four teams might be kind of how we saw it last year where they're all, as you said, parody and they're all kind of even. Um, I think the the Cardinals have some interesting pitching depth that depending on how it plays out, you know, because Adam Wainwright's almost 40 and some of these other guys have had serious injury issues. Andrew Miller's getting up there in age, like depending on how they're able to stay healthy, I think they have, um, you know, the highest ceiling in the division in terms of like their pitching depth. Um, but yeah, obviously you can't count out the Brewers and you put Nolan Arenado on the Cardinals. That's huge. But the Reds are, are a team that I think like, honestly, has kind of fallen out of that top four almost or on the verge of it. 
because this offseason they did you know almost nothing in terms of additions they they got rid of uh obviously they lost trevor bauer but then they traded away iglesias their closer for basically nothing and and really didn't do much to add so i they don't seem to me like a team that's like going for it this year that's going to do everything they can to be a buyer come come june or july so it, i think it's probably more of a three-team race the reds have talent but I'm not sure if it's going to play out. So, yeah, I think, you know, all these people that are from outside perspective think that like the Cubs are just going to going to fade away. I mean, I know they certainly don't believe that they they like the fact that they're being picked third or fourth or wherever in projections. And and they they think it's, it might work to their advantage that they can surprise people this year. I mean, there are very few lineups in baseball I would take top to bottom over the Chicago Cubs and what they can put out offensively. That one through about seven is just really tough to deal with. There's there's not a lot of breaks for a pitcher there. So if they have managed to harness, you know, something with this command stuff pitching staff that they have pieced together, really zigging while the entire rest of the league is zagging and chasing velocity, I think that this Cubs team could be incredibly interesting down the stretch. Any final thoughts on the season, things you think might be X factors that you want to share with our listeners before we wrap this one up? Yeah, I think based off of what you just said too, I think the the biggest X factor is really um, like the Cubs coaching staff here is David Ross knows this team so well and and he's such a competitive guy. And and I think, you know, he he can kind of be an X factor for this team. And then just the pitching infrastructure, like Tommy Hadovy and Mike Borzello and you know, all these guys, they're, they're kind of an X factor here too, because the, the, the guys on the field obviously have to go out and they're the ones winning and losing games, but the Cubs felt so confident in their coaching staff in, in Ross's ability to lead and how to be and all these guys to, to get outs and prevent runs that that's why they acquired these contact oriented guys and, and didn't go with guys with more stuff. So I think that's the biggest X factor here is if, you know, they, they took a huge bet on themselves. They made a huge bet on themselves And I think they're very, very confident that it's going to play out the way they want to this year. I hope that confidence pays off. I am looking forward to watching a lot of baseball starting April 1st when the Cubs welcome the Pirates and fans, for the record, back to Wrigley Field for the first time after a long, long pandemic baseball season. Tony, thank you so much for joining me today for this preview. Where can people find you on social media and where can they read your work and hear your podcast? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Tony and 23 and then um, everything at marqueesportsnetwork.com and, and just anything in Marquee Sports Network as well. I know we're going to have so many cool features and stuff leading up to opening day and our, our pregame show is going to be awesome that day. So uh, be sure to tune in there wherever you guys get it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to all of that pregame stuff. I've already got it like set to record on my TiVo just in case I'm out and have to rewind and play catch up or anything like that. We will be back after the Cubs have already started playing baseball to let you know a little bit about what happened in that Pirates series. As always, you can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah. Andy will be back next week. You can find her at at BRYZ underscore Blue. You can find both of us at at Cup of Cubby Blue. And we are so stoked that the Cubs are coming back to Wrigley. Bye. (laughs) 